Hello and welcome to A Little More Conversation, a unique podcast created to promote honest and meaningful discussions about our mental health in the advertising industry, brought to you by Adelphoi Music. My name is Chloe Heatley. And my name is Lakin Clark. And on today's episode, we are talking to the lovely Georgie McKechn, Head of Sales at the award-winning London production company Caviar. And joining us will also be Keenan Curran, a previous new business rep at animation studio Feed Me Light, and now co-founder and director of Pathfinder, coaching and development practice. Welcome, Georgie and Keenan, and how are you guys today? Very well, thanks. Lovely to be here. Same thing. Delighted to be here, ladies. Thank you very much for having me on. That's great to hear and and thank you guys so much for joining us today. We are really excited to have you both for our first episode of A Little More Conversation. And um, we thought we would start off with a subject quite close to our own hearts. We want to talk to you today about the pressure of sales. Because as we know, beyond its obvious perks lies a huge amount of pressure to deliver results. And, And these stresses can more than often trigger problems leading to burnouts, depression and anxiety. Now, you guys both offer such unique experiences of your time in the industry that that we hope our conversations today will resonate with someone out there so, so that we can start to provide a space of support for anyone who might be struggling at the moment. So thank you both again for joining us. I'm really looking forward to it. So, Let's get stuck in. Thank you, Lakin. Um, so, Georgia, you've been in the industry for over 10 years now. Can you give us a brief history of your career and how you got into advertising? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Chloe. Um, yeah, so, hey, guys, I'm Georgie. Um, yeah, 10 years. God, it feels a lot longer than that. Um, <laughs> but I think that's our industry, isn't it? Um Yeah, so I came came from quite an interesting background. I came in much later than I want to say most people doing sales do. I only started, yeah, sort of 35, which I think is pretty late in this industry doing the kind of rep role. But I came from a background of DJing and basically had always done like odd little jobs on the side alongside the DJing, but that was basically like my main career. And I think I just got to the stage of, you know, DJing in clubs, all that kind of stuff was great in your early 20s when everyone wants to go out every night of the week and get onto a guest list. Um, but then kind of, you know, everyone else starts settling down, having day jobs. And I just found it very tiring. It was kind of like I was leading a very lonely lifestyle, just doing everything on my own, out at night late. And a friend of mine at the time, um, Di Redvers, who was quite a sort of like big kind of presence on the sales side at Partizan, um, sort of knew I was kind of wanting to take a different path. And she said, listen, I want to meet you to meet an old, um, my old head of production, James Tompkinson, who was running um, Cut and Run at the time, which is one of the kind of key editing houses in London. I know it's totally different, but I think you'd be great at sales. And I was like, sales? In my head, I was like, sales, I picture running around with a, do you know what I mean, a briefcase and literally banging down doors. I was like, no, 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 that's not the job for me. And um, she's like, no, 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 just go and meet him. Um, and I'd done like, I'd done a bit of, actually funny enough before that, I'd done a sort of bit of repping, but not really for Mad Planet, really lovely music company, um, but just helping them out a little bit. And I realized, you know, the love for music was there. And I said, like, you know what, maybe this is the time. So I went and met James and he basically took a chance on me. And I said to him, listen, I'm going to be the first one to say, I've never done this job. I don't know the industry. You're literally going to have to talk me through it. So I kind of just hit the ground running. And yes, it was a bit daunting at first because I'm someone who, as much as people think, you know, DJs, you're out with going, you party hard. I'm actually quite a shy person. And I think my I've suffered with anxiety and panic attacks most of my life. And I think my anxiety did start to come up there because, as we all know, doing sales, you're kind of face of the company. I was like, God, I'm going to have to go out and meet people. I don't really know what I'm doing. I think it was quite a nice intro coming in on the editing side because basically, obviously, my main clients at the time were production companies. Um, so I was just out and about, you know, meeting production people. And I got, I mean, amazing, even in my one year at Cut and Run, working with amazing people. I was just like, God, this is such a cool industry. Like, go and get, get to go to award shows, take people out for lunches, work with awesome people in a really cool kind of creative environment, which is something I'd always kind of struggled 
in my head of doing a nine to five, I was like, oh, I'm not an office person. And actually our roles, as we all know, isn't really that. You're out actually more than you are stuck in the office. So I kind of loved that. And I got sent on this amazing sales trip to Tokyo. And everyone was like, how the hell did you manage that to go and talk about everything? And it was incredible. It basically then led me into, I met Daniel Bergman, who's the MD of Stink, which Lake and also you know, because we both worked together there. And led, yeah, led to a meeting with Blake, who runs the London office. And within no time, I suddenly had gone from a year into the industry working, yes, at great edit house, but I kind of decided actually production is really interesting, working with directors, went in and met them. And that started my career doing sales on the production side. So I was at Stink for three years, three and a half years, then left there and went and took some time out. And then I've been at Caviar where I am now for, God, six years, but no, love it. So that's a bit of background to me and how I got to where I, where I am now. Thanks, Georgie. And Keenan. so uh, after about three years of working in the industry, you left London to pursue a career outside of advertising. So tell me, how is life on the other side and what made you get into the industry in the first place? Yeah, so i grown up in a very, in the countryside in Ireland. Um, I remember as a child, my mother brought back one of the first iPods from America, um, one of the little white ones. She was on a, like a little charity cycle over in America and, and I came back and I put a couple of albums on it. And I remember I used to walk roughly this time of year uh, when the fields would be harvested behind my house and I'd walk with my dogs and I remember listening to the music and I used to get visions of Camden Town and Brixton. And I knew I had to go to London when I got older and I knew I was going to meet lots of different types of people and I looked forward to it. And then I was coming towards the end of my secondary school and it was time to go to college and I thought I want to study media and I went to a very local uh, university here or a college as we call it in Ireland and I studied for three years um, TV and media production. It was an insanely broad course and I knew nothing of it, nothing. Um, bar, yeah, I knew nothing. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, let's move to London, right? So my friend told me, he said, Keenan, come to London. I have accommodation and a house set up for you. I thought, okay, grand. I get there, turns out that was all a lie. And I ended up living in a tent for a couple of months with him and a few other people. And, you know, actually a great thing. And then I moved into um, apartments and just tried to find my feet in the UK. But I was so full of adrenaline uh, from being there that I just kind of powered through those kind of first rough enough six months. And then I handed out CVs for a runner in London anywhere. And I got a job um, as a runner for a company called Directors Cut Films. And they were a post-production company that specialized in editing of long-form uh, TV programs. And I got in there and I loved, I loved being in London, being, I was on Oxford, uh, Oxford Circus. The buzz of that was crazy. I remember eating sushi for the first time. I thought this is mental. Um, thought the boys could see me now. And then I got quite friendly with my colleagues and I was living in Camden at the time. So I, I was living the dream really. And one of the guys, Tom Pound was his name. And we became very good friends. He was a character. I really appreciated a lot about him and that time. And then I got a job offer in Ireland and I moved home to Ireland. And I had a year in Ireland to kind of recuperate a little bit because my first year in London was very taxing. And then I thought, you know what? London's calling me again. It's time to go back. So I emailed the company, Directors Cut Films, and I went back and I got a job there as the facilities manager, which was great. And two or three weeks into working, Tom gets in touch with me and he says, are you back in London? I said, yeah. He says, there's a job in the company I'm working for. You have to come and check it out. And I said to him, what job is it? And he said, a runner's job. And I said, Tom, honestly, I'm gone past that. I'm a facilities manager at this point. He was like, just come and check it out. <laughs> so he was working for the Electric Theatre Collective. And I remember walking into the reception area of the Electric Theatre Collective. And the first thing that struck me was how beautiful everybody was. And I thought, I do not 
this is is not for me, right? Well, I handed in this evening anyway, and the building was amazing. The the interior design, the vibe, people's clothes, people's tone. I thought, this is crazy. And then I got, I said, look, okay, sign me up. I'll take the pay cut. I'll go back to step, but don't care. Just get me into this company. And I got in, and I remember seeing all the artists. There was the first time ever in my life that I had um, colorists. I had nuke operators. I had flame. I had producers. I had CG animators. I had modelers. I had 2D animators. They were all at hand, and I could speak to them and investigate them as people. How did you end up here? What did you study to get here? What happened? And these people were from all over Europe, you know, and I'd never been in that type of environment before. It was so creatively charged, and then it was so productive. And then the money involved, like when I found out what these jobs were worth, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe there was so much about that. I was like, this is crazy. And then after maybe six weeks, eight weeks, they called me into the to the to the office and they said, What do you want to do here? And I said, Mate, I would like to be a colorist. And they were like, No, you you could be a producer or you can do sales. And I was like, to be honest, you neither of them really appealed to me. I don't want to be in the production room, you know, constantly in front of my laptop. And I don't want to be doing sales. I've never even thought about that. And then after a couple of weeks, it was, you know, they'd asked me, Can you go meet this person for a beer and just introduce yourself or whatever. And then I thought to myself, when I actually really understood what the role meant, I, I said, I remember saying to Lee, I said, okay, so you're telling me you're going to pay me to be here and to talk to people. And then you're going to pay me to go into London and go drinking with other people and tell them what's happening here. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, are you for real? And then he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, sign me up. And then I got, I remember meeting directors, you know, producers, agency producers, people from brands, other artists from other companies. And I just thought, this is an unbelievable opportunity for me to investigate the creative epicenter of the commercial scene in this continent. And I took it exactly as that. I was like, right, I'm going to go hard at this for as long as I possibly can. And what advertising did for me was it took away my naivety in terms of how I view the world. Like, I would go and meet people my age and older and, and I'd ask them, you know, what are you doing at the moment? And now we're doing this thing for LucasAid and we're doing this thing for Gilles or this thing for Schweppes or whatever. And then I'd see that on TV. And it made the world feel so small. It made, it took away the mystery of, of business and brands. And it gave me so much confidence to know that the people who are executing this material, I know these people. Um. And that was huge for me as a local person. In many ways, I'm quite a local man. You know, I'm, 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 I'm cultured in certain ways, but I'm not worldly. You know, I've come from very humble beginnings. And to be in a space where the world was made that accessible, advertising did that. And I'll never be the same as a result of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that. So that was me. That was me in, in the sales role then. And I remember looking out into the advertising industry and realizing that the sales role is it's full of cowboys because nobody really knows how to do this really there's people who are doing it but if you if those people who are really successful if they try to share the way they do things the next person mightn't be able to succeed with the same approach so um due to the culture of london as a city i believe and due to the nature of business in this country, or that country, because I'm in Ireland now, um, it makes the representation role very difficult. And it, it is a difficult job. And 
you're given a lot of information. A lot of it is good information. Uh, a lot of it's great information. And a lot of it isn't. And if it's not something that's suited to your nature, but it's suited to your personality, then you can be in difficulty because your personality might be open and vibrant and exuberant and intoxicating. But your nature might actually be quite consistent and maybe more gentle and maybe more homely. And if, if you get, you come into a company, you're 21, 22, 23, and you have an exuberant personality, and then you get sucked up into this, you know, this job role, quite quickly it can become quite taxing. But the pros outweigh the cons, for sure, in my mind. It's, this, is, this job is one of the best educations you can receive in the entire industry, without a shadow of doubt. I could not agree more, Ken, and thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so we would love to go on and talk specifically about mental health in the advertising industry and your experiences of it, whether that's personally or something you might have experienced through the industry. Georgie, shall we start with you? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, very valid point. Um, talking of mental health, and I think for me especially is burnout because I've been there myself and I've been there not only once or twice, I've been there three times and it's kind of taken me up until now, age nearly 44, to really, really, I think, how do I describe it? Really learn to balance life and work. And I think that is one thing that worries me and scares me about this industry. I think, you know, most industries are probably like this, but it is a very, very full-on industry where everyone whatever side I feel, like whether it's agency side, your guy's side, production side, post side, client side, I feel the pressures on people this day and age in our industry have got to, have got to boiling point. And it's like something needs to change. And I think I learned the hard way, but I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, we've all got to be responsible for ourselves, right? And as much as people around you can say, do this, do that, stop working extra hours. I'm, I've just, I've, you know, it's taken me the, I suppose the hard way of learning who I am as a person. And I'm very bad. I'm a real people pleaser. I'm not very good at putting boundaries in place. I'll just say yes to everything and not say no to stuff. And I think that's the tough part of being a rep. And I think I, because it was kind of like my first full job and Laken, as you know, like Stink, amazing, amazing company. But, you know, we, I was very lucky. I basically went in to one of the best production companies in the world. And that was my first job as a proper rep on the production side. So I think for me, it was like, wow, I've been given this opportunity. I'm going to go for it and I'm going to prove myself. But to a point where I basically kept burning out and my my burnouts would be physical burnouts. So I'd get sick and I'd have to take time off work because I put so much pressure and stress on myself. And I can't blame anyone else for that. It's just how I work. Um, and get so stressed out about little things. And it's taken me, God, 10 years of doing this job now to really work through my own stuff and my own characteristics and realize, basically just stop putting my pressure, that pressure on myself. Um, because as much as other people might put pressure on you, it's like all we can do. And this is, this would always be my bottom line advice to kind of especially younger reps and people coming into this industry is please don't put that pressure on yourself because all you can do is what you're capable of doing. And I think now more than ever, the pressure, as we've all talked about, Lake and you said at the beginning, the pressure on reps, it's really hard. And I think now more so than ever with just what's going on with the pandemic, with what's going on with Brexit, the fact companies are literally struggling to survive. And as you said, quite bottom line is without us and without us bringing in revenue and projects, there is no business. So it's, you know, it's a lot of pressure for, I mean, for all sides, but I've kind of just learned it, my mantra is all I can do is do my best. And I do do my best. And I'm not going to take on other people's stresses and pressures that are going to affect my mental health because I've learned the hard way through it. Thanks, Georgie. I, I stand by that mantra too. So thank you for sharing. And, and Keenan, same question to you. What has your experiences or observations been of mental health within the industry? Yeah, I feel that the, the 
I don't necessarily feel that advertising affected my mental health in any way, but I feel advertising af- affected my emotional well-being. And I feel that there's a, there is a difference. Like, I found that advertising <laughs> or being a rep, it, like, it was so, at times, at times, it was emotionally exhausting. And the reason for that, for me personally, was I realized quite quickly that people in London, they want you to be their friend. They, they want to be, you know, they want to be intoxicated by you. They want to be held by you. When you go out to meet them for a coffee, they want, they just, sometimes people tend to switch off and they're just like, okay, entertain me. You know, you're the rep, entertain me. And then you're thinking, okay, you're, you're making this dance a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. But look, you're in a position where you're able to do that. At the end of the day, I am trying to get a job off you and I am trying to generate business. And if you decide to make that hard for me, uh, you know, I'll respect that's your approach. Do I appreciate it? Not so much, but I respect it. I don't take it personally. You don't know me as a person. So how can anything you do towards me be a personal attack or effect? I don't. I never took it as such. But what, what would happen is I, for example, let's say if I took AMV as an example, and I feel in myself, okay, I want to try and approach AMV and get myself into that top tier of people who are making decisions, whether it's the ECDs, the CDs, the, the producers, whatever. And you think you might meet somebody at a party that is a part of AMV. I'm just going to role play this. This isn't actually based on my experience with AMV. They were the first agency I came to my mind, and I'm just going to go with it, right? So you might meet this person at AMV, and you're thinking, sweet, I actually enjoy listening to you. I like you. You're an interesting person for me to be around in my life, because if it wasn't for the advertising industry, I'd probably never speak to you. I wouldn't get the chance. So here we are. And then I used to think to myself, okay, is this person actually an in AMV? So I might say to them, how do you get on with your boss? Like, what's your boss like? And if they say to me, I don't like the boss, the boss is a prick. I think, right, well, your behavior towards your boss probably reflects the fact that you think that he or she is a prick. So maybe you're not the best person to introduce me to your to your boss. Do you know? And you're thinking this. You're trying to maintain a relationship with this person as you're trying to jump into a relationship with other producers. And now you're trying to cultivate a relationship with 10 or 11 different people in this one company. And you're actually giving your emotional energy to these people. So I could be on the phone to four or five people a day. And naturally, I remember, this is your wife's name. You've just come back from a holiday. You know, this is the car that you're driving. You've been feeling sick. You're feeling better. This is the work that you've done. You're hoping to move to another company. You're happy where you are. All this information that people would give to me as I'm speaking to them and listening to them, which I'm enjoying doing, um, and I do it naturally. It's for the love of people that I'm doing this. But then five o'clock comes and I go home and I'm exhausted. And my friends are texting me from Ireland or somebody that I had a good chat with on the tube. You know, they I took their number and now they're texting me. They want to go for a walk or whatever. And I'm so mentally and emotionally, well, emotionally exhausted that I don't have room for these people. So what started to happen was my world was slowly, slowly being whittled down to a point where I was actually spending a lot of my emotional time with people that, you know, I couldn't really trust because I was very expendable to these people because I was someone providing a service. But in order for me to provide a service to these people, I had to be their friend. So that's not a give and take relationship. I'm pouring emotional energy into somebody who's actually taking it. And whatever they decide to do with that, I can't take it personally. But sure, where, how am I going to keep generating this emotional energy? So I was becoming fatigued and I was pushing away the people that, you know, organically meant the most to me. And I became aware of that. And I thought, okay, I, I have to try and, and um, be kinder to my body so that I have emotional energy. And also I have to be more um, present in my dealings with people and not 
not be available to people for the sake of it. Because they will lean on you. If there's people out there in advertising agency producers and they think, you know, if we call this person to come meet us for a few beers, they'll buy us four or five rounds of beers and we can drink for free. You know? And these are things that you don't realize that you're being in you sometimes I and I I I want to be there. You forget that, you know. You have a way of looking at people, and people have a way of looking at you, and uh, that's business. So, do you both think that your managers have appreciated the difficulties of sales? Like, how have you experienced people managing you? Um, yeah, I think sometimes I haven't been managed at all, to be honest. Straight up, periods were like I have not been managed, and. That, in many ways, that was good. That gave me the opportunity and it showed trust. And I appreciated that. And I think people, well, the way I saw it, right, it, would you give out to your, would you or fire your postman because you weren't receiving checks in the mail? And that's what it felt like to me. It was like, look, I've booked this many presentations in the month and they've been cancelled on me. I have set up these three meetings in Adam and Eve or whatever on LinkedIn and they've cancelled them. And then it's like, I am getting scripts on a daily basis and I'm handing the scripts to you and then that job falls through and I'm feeling the pressure. That makes no sense. I'm the postman. I'll go up to the depot, I'll pick up the letters, signed and sealed, and I'll hand you the letter. And then if that letter, you open it up and it's a bill and you're like, this is a bill that's no good to me. I was like, well, to be honest, I don't give a fuck what's in the letter. I've got the letter for you. But like, at what point, at what point does your problem become my fault? And I always had that in my head. You know, I'm bringing you the letters and, uh, and I'm booking stuff. I'm working. And that for me, that was one of the hardest things about being a rep. Sometimes there was no release, there was no hype, there was no like, yes, we're after doing that. You know, you could be working and it's all unseen, you know, it's all unseen. You're emailing people, texting people, you're sitting there calculating. And sometimes it's a waiting game as well. And you're like, well, I've emailed them on Tuesday. And if he or she doesn't get back to me, you know, I can't email them again because I look needy. So sometimes you really do have to play that, you know, sometimes working is doing nothing at the same time. But there's, so it was tricky yeah I I couldn't agree with you more there and and I actually wanted to go back to one of your earlier comments Keenan because I I think it's really important that uh, we acknowledge the type of emotional investment that goes into this job and I think it can be really tricky to make that separation sometimes between your work and personal life because more than often, we do take our work into the evening and and we are building a lot of these relationships based on drinking and partying. And, and that for me personally was where I really started to struggle, especially as I got a bit older and the this pressure to continue to perform and to drink or to flirt. And, and, and if I didn't, did, did I miss out on a potential job? When I made a conscious effort to build on honest relationships over a cup of coffee, I I actually found it quite difficult at first and, and I lost a lot of confidence. I guess, uh, I guess my point and what I would like to understand is whether you think this role caters to that change in lifestyle. And Georgie, you know, you have DJed at all of these events. You have seen it all. What's your thought? Yeah, I was about to say, my love, that flows quite nicely because I'm like, yeah, so I came into it off the back end of a lot of partying, DJing. That was basically my life. And I was doing, like I said, part-time jobs on the side, done a few little jobs in the industry for like Mad Planet and not to scale. But DJing was my main thing. And I wanted a whole to turn it around. And so, yes, it was amazing. Like you said, it's an amazing industry to come into. Wow. And, you know, like we've all said, basically your job is to be out and about, being paid to take people out for lunches 
paid to go to industry events, paid to travel like we did a lot to Amsterdam, to go to Cannes, to go to all these amazing things that you're like, this is my work. And, you know, a lot of my mates had like no, what I would call normal nine to fives. And they were just like, they couldn't understand because my job was so far fetched from what they were doing. And I'd have to cancel as we all have done, cancel last minute dinner with mates. And they'd always be like, oh, George is cancelling again. Because they didn't understand that we had to go out and perform. And last minute, you suddenly, right, you're going to this. Or someone, like you say, take creators out to the pub. And I think for me, it was something, it got easier over time, but I did struggle with because I'm not a big drinker. I'm basically, my body's totally allergic to alcohol. You know my love. I would get sick. I mean, like throwing my guts up the next day. But I'd keep doing it because it was that kind of pressure of, God, am I the boring one if I'm not drinking? And I think a lot of people, that's what worries me is there's there's a lot of pressure, especially I think on the younger reps now of continuing doing this, out partying, whatever. And I think the older you get, the nice thing is people, do you know what I mean? I, my lifestyle is totally different now. Like I'm actually the boring geeky DJ. I don't drink, I don't party. <laughs> yes, I DJ, but I'm, I'm in my forties and I've learned the hard way from having burnouts because I physically have taken on far too much and think I'm still 25 when I'm not. My body is nearly 44 and it shuts down physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I take, I put that pressure on myself and I'm still learning now to not put that pressure on myself because I'm not the MD. I'm not the owner of the business. It's like, I will do what I need to do. And I'm back to your point, Chloe. I mean, I'm very lucky. I've always had very supportive bosses. And I think, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. I came into the, I was lucky in a way, I came into the industry very late. So I kind of was already in my mid thirties. I had a head on my shoulder. I kind of knew how to pick up on, I'm kind of, you know, I'm quite a sensitive soul, but I'm also very empathic. I love meeting people, but I'm, I can pick up on people's energies and I kind of know what's right, what's wrong. I don't need to go out and prove anything. I kind of knew who I was as a person. And yes, I've changed and grown in that period in this industry, but I kind of, you know, I'm glad I didn't come into this industry in a way as a rep at 21, 22, because I would have probably, I would have burnt out a long time ago. Because I think there is a lot of pressure, but I think, you know, it's that, it's, you're lucky when you get to a point, like I, like I say, I've been doing this quite a long time now and I work with incredible people at Caviar. I work with incredible people at Stink, where I was lucky. There was never that real, right, you've got to get 50 meetings in the next two weeks. You've got to bring this amount of scripts. And I speak to some reps who have those pressures and I don't get it. As you were saying earlier, there's no set way of doing this. It's like, we're all individuals. All we can do is do what we can, whatever way works best for you in getting in touch with people, especially now, everything has changed so much. And the trouble is the pressure does always fall back to us because whether we're busy, whether we're not, it's always like, oh, Georgie, where's where's the next project or whatever? And actually it's teamwork at the end of the day. And like I said, I'm very lucky. I work with an incredible team of people. Sorica's incredible, like a massive advocate of mental health has been kind of working with the APA on stuff. So I'm lucky. I work with an incredible team with people who get it, who've you know, understand when I'm going through tough patches and all my anxieties coming up, or I've had like ongoing health stuff in the last year. And I'm very, very lucky, but I I think where I struggle is not everyone has that support or not everyone feels they can reach out to their bosses. And it kind of almost makes me a bit teary about that because it's, we do spend most our, most our breathing hours in the workplace. Let's be honest, look at every day. Do you know what I mean? And if you're not in a healthy, happy environment where people are kind of respecting you and supporting you and being understanding and where you can totally open up as much as it's hard sometimes and say, listen, I'm struggling or I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I think that's where I worry about the younger reps is that feeling, that pressure that they've got to just say yes to everything and do this and do that. And I just want to say, you know, anyone struggling out there, please reach out to any of us guys, because we're all here to support each other and never, ever want anyone to feel in that space. Um, but I do feel like it's opening up a lot more on the whole mental health. It has to, because so many people have struggled with it. We're in a very hard tough industry where that pressure is on. But I feel, we were talking about this yesterday, I feel like this pandemic in a way has made everyone slow down, everyone reassess their lifestyles, the work-life balance and working in a different manner that actually I feel in a way right now is great because it's slowing people down. Like I feel a different person from not running around town 
in meetings all day long. Like my fatigue that I suffered from from a long time has gone. I'm getting more done in the day than I've ever done, more productive than ever. So I kind of hopefully we can get a nice balance moving forward when on whatever the new normal comes comes in. But I feel yeah, it's interesting times. Yeah, I I think it's um, a real opportunity at the moment for um, the the ad industry to make some real change within their company culture uh, and to talk to their employees, especially now as we, we continue to work from home and uh, even more importantly for when things, like you say, do return to normal, that staff feel supported by their bosses and that the appropriate guidance is is built into the company so so that a young rep coming into this role has the knowledge and and is able to set those boundaries yeah because it is very overwhelming isn't it we all know like even to this day i have days where suddenly it goes mental and there's suddenly projects come i mean it's great but projects coming in and right oh this is pr's going to launch tomorrow because i do all our pr's and I very easily, even to this day, I know how I'm much better than I used to be. I can get overwhelmed. I get really stressed and then it's all too much. I'm like, God, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to do this. And then the anxiety comes up and it is, it's a, it's a very tough role. It's like, it's constant because you never know day to day what's coming in, what's going on. And it's go, 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 go. I think it was interesting for me because I only joined advertising last March. So it's what, a year and a half or so. And I had my first trip to Cannes last year, not this year, sadly, because of the you know pandemic. But um, there, it was actually, I think it was the Thursday night that you DJ at the, the tropical party. I was down there, we'd been there a few days. And, you know, when I arrived, I thought, wow, this is so amazing. Like the sun, the beach, the rosé, all the people. It was just like, this is like, what a treat. And after a few days, you're like, okay, like this has been quite quite full on and it was that your that party you were DJing at when I met Keenan outside and I said Keenan god I am exhausted I don't want to talk to anyone I don't want to do shots I don't want to dance I want to go to bed and it's like it took for me to meet Keenan for him to be like look if you need to go to bed just go like there's no point you staying out all day the interesting thing was the next day I was fresh and I was out and having great chats with everybody. And like, you know, you're seeing people, where have they gone? Where are they gone? They're in bed or, you know, they didn't make it out today or or whatever. But it took somebody who was more experienced to tell me as, as a young, you know, salesperson and producer, like, you can go home. It's okay. I definitely feel in terms of substances and our job and substances, because they go hand in hand. In many ways. I'm just going to be dead honest. Straight up here. Any young rep. Or anyone at any point. Who's coming into this industry as a rep. From my experience. I was a heavy drinker. And a heavy drug taker. In the years in college. And a couple of the years after college. And I had left that life. Because I was sick. Of feeling high. And feeling low. So I left it. And when I came into advertising, I thought to myself, okay, if I get smashed and high on a Saturday night, to the capacity that I know I can get, like I don't just get drunk, like sometimes I get, I used to anyway, mad by be at. And it, Sunday was a write-off, Monday was a write-off, Tuesday, you know, maybe, Wednesday, okay, you know, we're not too bad. Thursday, we're back up on our feet. And then Thursday night, you're probably on it again. So that's not good. You're not going to achieve anything. You're going to become a zombie. You'll be used and abused. And you're, you're at nothing. It's a waste of time. Don't even think about it. If you're going to become a rep, two major things to avoid in my mind is drugs of any sort when you're socializing and painkillers. Painkillers after you feel like you've been out or hangover, getting into the habit of self-soothing by taking painkillers. Painkillers People take painkillers way more regularly than we acknowledge. And that's important because that's that sedates the body. It sedates the mind. It sedates the emotions. Under no circumstances, in my mind, should a rep take drugs with anybody, anywhere, any client that comes up to you and asks you to source drugs, a 
or asks you to get them drugs or asks to take drugs or asks you if you have drugs on you. Fuck them. Straight up. I'd rather not have that client. I'd rather not speak to that client. If you're in your early 20s and some person from this agency comes up to you and asks you if you know where you can get cocaine, then you leave them where they are. When it comes to alcohol, have a plan for your night. From 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, we're going to be in this venue. In this venue, where's the best lit place? Where can I stand and socialize in a place where I'll be heard, where I'll be seen? And if I'm going to be heard and I'm going to be seen, how do I want to be perceived? What is my body language going to be? What's my tone of voice going to be? Am I going to be listening? Am I going to be speaking? Am I going to be telling jokes and having the laugh? Or am I trying to explore somebody? Have that prepared in your head. And you think, I want to have, I want to sow seeds in people in the room. In whatever way I wish to do that in the first two hours, I'll enjoy a drink, have a pint maybe, or have a glass. And just sip it, just chill out with it. And then from 10 to 12, depending on where you live, if it's, is it easy for you to get home after this night out? Nothing good happens past midnight. Nothing ever. Nothing ever good happens past 12 o'clock in my experience. Get what you need to get done, done by midnight. And then get out of there. Go home. Enjoy a social drink and leave it at that. So to any rep out there, stay away from painkillers. Do not get into the habit of that. Uh, stay away from drugs at any time, every time. It's never worth it. Uh, have a time, an entry plan. Have an exit plan. Stick to that. And um, be kind to yourself. And if your shadow appears, embrace your shadow and work with it and, and move forward and you'll become a stronger person. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the sad truth is we we can't neglect to mention the the impact that drugs and alcohol has had on the mental health of the people in this industry. We've we've seen it all. We've seen it in relationships, create addictions, depression, and in worst cases, it's led to assault and suicide. I think it's really important that the industry recognises and, and takes a bit of responsibility for the people who contribute to it. Yeah, I was about to say, totally agree with what you both said on that. And I think, especially for myself now, because I don't drink, but it took me a long time to listen to my body. And I totally get where you were coming from um, with the whole self-sabotage. When I did drink, I'd get out of hand. I'd drink. I, I'm, I'm an all or nothing person. And it's taken me a long time to learn that, be it with work, be it with drinking back in the day when I used to do drugs and it's like no I can't this is and also I'm someone I'm like we were talking about this yesterday it's like I've always put the line between work and my home life so I've never want never get involved being a rep especially in relationships I know none of us can help who we fall in love with but I think that really helps being as a rep as well putting that divide and putting yourself when you're working and keeping it to work because otherwise those lines get blurred and everything goes down the line and I think especially without being sexist I think for girls especially it's very tough for young girls females coming in as reps you know I get worried they're going to get preyed on by lechy older guys when they get drunk at award shows like this is the kind of stuff that really needs to be discussed and things put in place and I don't know it's and it is hard especially in London as we all know London England is such a drinking culture especially like people just say to me oh, you don't drink. Are you an alcoholic? No, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't want to drink. And I still to this day, I'll go on, have a drink. You're being boring. And it just makes me go, oh, fucking hell. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, stop pressurizing people. And luckily I can hold my own now. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not having a drink. I'll have a Coke with you or a pint of water. And then I'm going. Whereas actually this is where the, what you were just saying worries me because the younger ones are like, okay, then yeah, I'll have a drink. Or they feel that pressure like a client or whoever is like, come on, you're having a drink. You're not going. And I'm not, I know myself well enough to put those boundaries in place now. And it's tough. It's a, it's a toxic industry across the board and it's hard to find that balance and middle ground. I think be it with work, be it with partying, being it with mental health physical health emotional health like it's so it's so entwined in each other it's it's a tough one yeah i, def I definitely agree there's there's toxic elements to the industry but one thing like have you ever worked on a building site like that's 
that's that's some that's some you know what I mean. There's some things going on in building sites, some hardcore stuff. You know, plumbers, like there's doctors even. The level of alcoholism within the doctor trade. I think dentists have the highest alcoholism and of any profession. So the things that we demonize in advertising. They are kind of universal toxicities that exist within the human condition, you know, across many forms. And they, we can discuss them and we can, you know, point to the industry and ask, how can the industry change and evolve? And if those parts of the industry are just going to collapse. And they are collapsing. We've watched them collapse. They're collapsing as we speak. And all we really need to be doing is looking in the mirror and think, you know, who do I want to be by Christmas time? And then how do I want the people around me to represent my interests? And do I have their interests at heart? And one thing I'd like to say as well, just briefly, on the, like that, the young ladies coming in as reps and getting, you know, put in very precarious situations, very hurtful, very demeaning situations where they're being sexualized by an older colleague. Um, just from a man's perspective, one thing that I've learned over time is my is self-awareness. There's been so many times throughout my life when I feel, looking back, I was speaking to a woman and she felt intimidated or insecure in my presence. And I wouldn't have a clue. And what I forget, personally what I forget, my inner child, my inner teenager still exists within me a lot, you know. I forget that I am a hundred kilos. I forget that I have a big beard and a massive head. Like my motorcycle helmet is extra large. Like it's a big head, right? I forget that I have a direct stare and a very fluid way of speaking. I forget that. So I could be in a situation where I'm speaking to somebody or and I'm not aware that they're looking at me. And they're thinking, where's his head at? Like, this guy is right in front of me, talking to me. And I would innocently be putting that person in an uncomfortable position. And I had to start realizing. I was like, okay, Keenan, me being the country boy, like the Catholic country boy. I was like, if you're in London and you're walking on a footpath behind a woman, just cross the road. Just let her know you're not there to do any any damage or like you know these are small things that as a man sometimes your self-awareness doesn't lend you to the fact that you can be perceived as a threat by somebody because you're not thinking that way and as Lakin said there early doors she would have felt at times like she had to flirt with people in order to keep them engaged and that's a problem and also men who are not self-aware and their thoughts and emotions and their lack of self-awareness is putting women in very uncomfortable situations. And then there's obviously another layer of that where you have people who are just straight up abusing their power and they're, you know, sexually, emotionally and mentally putting people in positions that are straight up wrong and, and they have to be treated and respected as that, uh, for sure. But I just said I'd share that because it's something that I learned a lot from during my time in the industry. It would be amazing to share with our listeners things that you guys do to for like coping mechanisms or things that you do at home to to find the balance between work and home, especially now that we are working at home. I know, Georgie, you were saying earlier that you can really switch off, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, my thing is exercise. Um, what do, what do you do? Yeah, no, I like I said, I in a kind of lucky way, like lockdown's been it's been a very strange six months for me. I had a kind of build up with quite big ongoing health stuff that just literally came to a massive head in February and March to a point I literally had to get signed off work by doctors basically and basically like a burnout and it was it was I think a year's build-up of health stuff juggling caviar juggling the DJing juggling a long-distance relationship <laughs> still not learned my lessons that I'm doing too much and there's not enough balance in there um so actually when lockdown came along I I have to be honest I kind of it was like the kind of drop in the ocean in a way for me because I knew I either needed to take time like proper time off work and get my mental physical emotional health back together or 
I had to I had to look at my wellness and change things and I kind of I got into online therapy back in February before we even came into this new world of Zooms and being online and that has been a saving grace for me and I love it I have someone outside of my world who I talk to every week and I just let her know what's going on with me what I've been struggling with because I mean lockdown's been hard for everyone right in their own way I live on my own so I've been in isolation yes I've kind of embraced that because I needed that personal space. But at the same time, it's hard. I haven't had a partner here. I haven't had family around for, I don't think I saw my family for like four months. I was literally like, okay, I love my flat, but I kind of (laughs) need some kind of interaction. And I think that's what's been tough for a lot of people is we're such a, especially our industry, we're such a social industry. That's a big part of all our jobs, out and about, seeing everyone meetings all that kind of stuff and suddenly to cut that out of your life for a lot of people I think has been really really tough um and yet still perform the same thing so I got very into meditation massively like in the last couple of months yoga quite a bit at the beginning and that was good for kind of stretching but I think we you know we've all talked about it's like the hours in the day now is incredible it's like actually most people I mean my hours are roughly like 9 30 till 6 30 and I'm like, just not having that commute into work, running around town all day in and out of meetings. I feel my days are so much longer. I wake up at 5.36. I'm like, oh, this is a bit early. But I kind of slowly wake up. I do like meditations. I've got very into like my astrology and stuff like that. And I just have really quiet, slow paced mornings. So come 9.30, I've done all my personal stuff there, putting on the wash, meditation and it's amazing and I've literally that I'm not kidding you has transformed me and it's actually taken away all the physical symptoms of my ongoing illness that I've been suffering from from the last year and literally through meditation and that's I mean that for me I never thought I'd be that everyone's like that how do you meditate and I'm like well to be honest a lot of it's just sitting in my own space and just having peace and quiet and switching off from everything, letting my mind do what it wants to do and just being in the here and now. And I think it's that I just literally live each day for day right now. And I'm very grateful. I'm grateful for one for my health with everything going on in the world right now. And just having that gratitude and just kind of, I just feel a lot more at peace with myself and it's taken all the pressures off with not getting so stressed with work. I don't know. It's interesting. So that's been my main takeout for the last kind of six six months or so. Yeah, I I think that's something that we really wanted to make sure to highlight in our conversation today is the uh, the importance of self care and and Keenan, you might be the perfect person to offer some advice in this department. Your uh, your practice Pathfinder it offers tools to empower people to achieve their goals. Can you tell us a bit more about the company and can you share any thoughts on how we can take better care of our minds? I appreciate that. Um, I don't think maybe I'm the best person to give advice, but I can definitely share with you what I feel has worked for me. Um, One thing that I always noticed about time working in advertising industry was its project-based nature. Uh, So we would have teams of people assembled constantly erratically and i was able to watch these teams come together and some functioned some didn't function and what that really started to teach me was about teamwork leadership the human spirit what motivates what motivates us as people in professional spaces and that's when i became very good friends with a gentleman called david ford and he's a former professional football player he played with millwall for almost a decade and he played with Ireland, and he's had a very decorated football career, which spanned over two decades. And we would have the most intense, amazing conversations about what motivated us as people and what motivates people in general from what we've observed in our time. And we decided to start a business together. We thought, look, why don't we step into this life coaching sphere where we can combine professional sport, high performance, high physical output with the high performance mentality and actually try and coach people on how to nurture their potential, harness their fire and achieve their goals in a very practical way. So we did that and I left advertising and very quickly we were picked up by the Premier League 
and we worked with Crystal Palace and we work now with UEFA and we work with the FAI in Ireland and we work with many other uh, quite large corporations. A lot of the nature of the work we do is private and confidential, so I bar those sporting banners and that's pretty much all I can say. But that's great, right? That's us sitting with groups of people or individuals and very practically sitting down, discussing their life path, investigating their thought patterns and seeing is it aligning with your with your life purpose? You know, does everything sit and fit together? And if it doesn't, let's have a look at that. Let's practically have a look at that and see if we can apply ourselves to getting over these bumps in the road that we've either created for ourselves, for the way we think, or that nature has put in front of us as a challenge, something that we can learn and grow from and overcome. When it comes to my personal practice, what do I do to keep my boat, you know, even on the choppy oceans? Because the way I see life, life is, life is like an ocean. And we're in this ship and we're going to go from port to port. We identify, okay, I'm in Ireland now and I want to go to Morocco. And then you're looking ahead at the ocean and you think, right, weather-wise, what's the ocean going to be like? And someone's like, the ocean, the water is nice and smooth, but there's pirates everywhere. So you think, okay, I'm going to fill my ship with cannons and I'm going to go to Morocco and I'm ready for war. Because maybe that's what's needed. And then... You're letting off these shots left, right and centre. You've got through the battle and then you've landed in Morocco. You're like, nice one. Now it's time to go to South Africa. And they're like, okay, the water is crazy. The waves are massive. And you're thinking, okay, I'll bring extra food just in case. But you forgot to leave your cannons at home. And then you're getting into this choppy water and your boat's getting thrown all over the place. And your ship is too heavy and you're going to sink. So what that analogy means basically is we have to have different tools to able to flow through different oceans and different circumstances. Sometimes you need your cannons. Sometimes you need extra food. Sometimes you need one anchor. Sometimes you need two anchors. Sometimes you need three. So what are my anchors? So one anchor for me is music. Music has always been a tool for self-expression. Always. And I'd sit down with that and I'll sing songs, I'll write songs, and I'll, I'll allow myself to creatively flow into a space where I can be vulnerable. That's one anchor. The second anchor for me is actually relaxation. Now, that might sound so stupidly obvious, but I actually find it quite hard to physically relax. Sometimes my body goes into a, a state of tension. So I will lie down, or sit down if I'm on a comfortable chair or whatever, and I'll focus on my breath. I'm not forcing my breath to be any more than it is. I'm just allowing my breath to be, and then I'm consciously trying to relax my neck, my shoulders, my arms, my hands, my hips in particular. And then as I'm in a space of relaxation, I'll go into my organs, and I'll try bring myself through my internal body and see if I'm holding tension anywhere. And if I am holding tension somewhere, I'll ask my body, where have you come from? Why are we tense? And I'll listen to my body, and I'll try and move forward with that information. The third anchor for me, which is very, very important in my life, is, as Georgie said, meditation. I've been very lucky that my family have been involved in a type of mantra-based meditation called Japa Yoga, which is in one of the most ancient forms of meditation deriving from the Vedantic traditions in the Himalayas. And for many years, myself and my family have been going to the Himalayas to practice this meditative technique and making these Sanskrit sounds, these root sounds, has allowed me to generate a vibration within my own system. and. That's been huge. That's not attached to any form of religion in my mind either. So I haven't bought into this scheme. It's a technique for consolidating your aura effectively. Um, and I do hope in the next three to four weeks, I'm actually hoping to start an online um, mantra-based, sound-based meditation class 
if anybody is interested in that for the moment just if you want you can follow me on instagram or facebook uh, keen on corn it's as simple as that and um, i'll be putting information up around the meditation classes and what they'll look like and, and where they'll be available um but those those three things for me definitely do help keep me grounded and help keep me uh, centered because I'll very easily not become those two things, very, to be honest. And I just, I was going to add in actually, because I find it fascinating what you're saying. I'm exactly the same. I can very easily, and I think this lockdown, I've really discovered to another level who I am as a person, be it emotionally, mentally, physically. And yeah, like I said, had some quite testing times. And the other thing I got very into, which helped me through the really tough stages in kind of April time was breath work. And I found, you know, lockdown, I found amazing. The people and teachers I've discovered on Instagram have been insane. Like the talks I've been listening to and breath work was transformational for me, especially around my anxiety. It's something I've always been told all my life, you know, you don't breathe and I don't breathe. And I know that's where a lot of all my anxiety, panic attacks came from. And so that's been a really grounding and kind of moving experience for me getting into that. And if anyone's interested, an amazing guy on Instagram I discovered called Richie Bolstock called At The Breath Guy. And he's incredible. He's now got an app and stuff which you can sign up for for free. And I think, you know, lockdown, like Keanu was saying, has been, I think it's just having that time. We've all got that time now. Now we're working remotely from home. We have got the time to put all these tools into place and make space for you Whatever works for you, hobbies, is it going out for a walk, it's even just FaceTiming with your friends and family, do you know what I mean? If you're feeling a bit lonely, it's, it's just having that headspace. And I've got definitely got a lot better at sticking. And I think we all have because we're not running around going to events. There's none of that going on now. So it's like you have your evenings and it's actually you have a lot of time in the day if you want to, to map it out and take breaks if you need to, whatever works for you. And yeah, so it's been really interesting times and I feel like they're all become they've all become part of my routine now like it's it's literally changed me as a person this lockdown for the better from putting all these like really healthy routines into place that I've needed for so long but I've always made excuses for oh I'm too busy I'm too tired I don't have time to do yoga do you know what I mean and actually we've all got all the time in the world Absolutely. That's that's the thing, isn't it? I think uh, there is definitely this universally shared feeling across our industry at the moment that we're we're all in it together, which which makes this incredibly hard time almost quite bearable. And and I know a lot of people who have really struggled and and I know I did at first, but like like you say, Georgie, we have been given this incredible opportunity and this time to to reflect on our well-being and our health that's what I mean opening the doors to amazing new possibilities for all of us of like who we really are as people as well and I think it's that it's really made me realize what's important in my life and actually it's not all just about the job which I think for me and a lot of us for years it was all just throwing everything into our jobs and putting so much pressure on ourselves and it's not about that because actually at the end of the day you're not going to do your best job if you're not physically, mentally, and emotionally in a good place. I would never want anyone to be in a horrible place or suffering with depression or struggling with, struggling with the pressures of work. Like seriously, reach out, please, because there's nothing worse than being in your own space and really struggling with that and not being able to communicate. It really is It's not a nice place to be. I've been there before and I've learned I have to talk to people and sometimes it's hard. And if there's people around you you struggle to open up to, please, any of us are here to help. I think also the other thing I want to say, which I love about the kind of the reps at the moment is, you know, the modern way of we're all on WhatsApp, Zooms, whatever is like, I love it. We've got, as you girls know, the WhatsApp reps group, which I mean, I don't even know how many people are in that. I don't even know half the people in person, but it's really nice having that kind of community space. And I think we're very... Kenan and I were discussing this yesterday when we had a quick catch up like London is an amazing city for our industry it really is like the friendliness and the openness and the friends you meet in this industry and the people you meet I wouldn't change it for the world and you know there's other countries where they don't have the same kind of bond and community like we do as a rep 
as reps, like half, most of my best mates I've met are fellow reps and my competition and people are like, what? But they're, they're your competition. I'm like, oh, no, they're not our competition. I don't look at it like that. And we're very lucky we do actually work in an industry that in that respect, it's more matey than it ever could be. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, you're pitching on that job. Oh, yeah, we are too. Do you know what I mean? And it's amazing. Not everyone has that. Everyone, a lot of countries, or I know in like other cities, it's very, very kind of aggressive, aggressive sales. And um, I don't think, I definitely couldn't handle working in that kind of environment, I tell you right now. <laughs> yeah, well, as you know, that's how we got to creating this podcast in the first place. The The WhatsApp group for reps is an incredibly friendly and supportive community of people. And uh, actually a massive thank you to all the reps who responded to the podcast request, uh, who who spoke to us and shared their experiences and uh, offered us such great advice. Thank you so much. Uh, and if you would like to be added to the group, please get in touch. They are such a wonderful bunch of guys and gals. They're un- unbelievable. The, without anybody I know from advertising, and if you were a rep, I loved you. But want you to know that. If you are listening to this and you knew me and you were a rep, I loved you. There wasn't a single rep that I met in that group or at those events that I wasn't that genuinely. I had so many of them. I had so much respect for We had so much fun. We had so many good memories in Cairns, in Kinsale, in Soho, East London. They were, they were a joy. and the support and the help in particular on that group when it came to Cannes and everything like that, it was it was amazing. They were beautiful people. And me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the sales reps are a good bunch indeed. Um, on that beautifully positive note, thank you both so much for your time today. I feel so lucky to have had this opportunity to speak with you both. And I'm sure we could go on chatting about this all day. Um, I hope some of our listeners out there have benefited from the conversation as well. Uh, I know that I did. Um, thank you both, Keenan and Georgie, for your time. Take care of yourselves and we will speak to you soon. Yeah, very honoured to be asked. Thank you. And I've loved it. No worries. Thank you for having me on, girls. Honestly, I really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Georgie and Keenan, for your time today and for being our first ever guests on the podcast. If anybody listening has been affected by what we have discussed today and would like to learn more, we have included some links to industry-specific sites and platforms offering support in the podcast description. Also, if you're interested in doing some one-on-one or group sessions with Keenan, his company details can be found in the podcast description too. Thank you again, you guys.